You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 111. Subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app. And we got a website at codingblocks.net where you can find show notes, examples, discussion, and a whole lot more. Hey, guess what, y'all? We got a website. We do. We do. Send your feedback, questions, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net. Follow us on Twitter at codingblocks or head to www.codingblocks.net and find all our social links there at the top of the page. With that, I'm Alan Underwood. I'm refusing to look at the notes. And I've got a name. <laughs> do we want to leave it there or do we want to? <laughs> we leave it. We leave it. All right, then. We leave it there. This episode is sponsored by Clubhouse, the developer-friendly project management platform, and Datadog, your monitoring platform for cloud-scale infrastructure and applications. All right. So in this episode, we're continuing on with the pragmatic programmer. And this time we're talking about tools. Uh, no, pa- editing. Power editing. Debugging. Debugging. Uh, source control. We got a few things on tap on this episode. All right. But first up, a little bit of news here. Uh, as always, we got to say a big thank you for all the reviews. I'm going to read iTunes. Uh, but this time we got big thanks for Sebastian Schrodinger. Uh, Drickgen Savolsky, uh, Bert1994, DK, uh, Brandonford, Mike Mack, AU, Dylan W. Roberts, Manufacturing Engineer, uh, and John08. Jan08? Jan I think John. Maybe. Oh, well, thank you very much. We really appreciate those. And then in Stitcher, I dare you to try F Sharp, Jester, <laughs> Mr. Maladroit, Stickersoft, Infinite Pumpkin and Space Dance. Hey, and if anyone, because Stickersoft likes some stickers, so if anyone likes some stickers, you just gotta let us know how we can get those stickers to you. Uh, you can send us a self-addressed stamped envelope. You can find all the information on uh, codingblocks.net/slash/swag, or just hit us up on you know any social media platform or you know Slack comments at codingblocks.net or whatever. Just let us know how to get some stickers to you. We'll get some stickers to you. We have a website. I've heard. <laughs> I heard that. Did you know? Uh, yeah, my buddy Joe was telling me that we have a website. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so also want to mention uh, there's a great episode of the Changelog podcast that came out where they actually had the two authors of the Pragmatic Programmer on the actual show, and that's, of course, the book we've been talking about lately and we're going to be talking about uh, again today. And uh, they had some interesting to say thing uh, things to say about it. Uh, particularly, one thing that I thought was interesting is just how much of the book they changed, and they ran a diff. Of course, they did, right against the uh, old version and the new version. We talked about the tools they used to write the book, and uh, of course, they're not using the, those same tools from twenty years ago. But they're still able to diff pretty easily, and they like um, wrote a, a specific tool for doing it so they could like set the threshold that they were wanting to see. So like, if they add a space or a comma, they didn't want that to count. And uh, they ended up saying, I, I believe it was 75% of the paragraphs have changed. Yeah, and that thought, was like significant change. Yeah, I thought that was interesting that they had like specifically their, uh, the, the threshold part of it kind of like piqued my interest, my curiosity when he said that. I was like, oh, wait a minute. What, how, what yep. all did, what all included, what all had to count for that threshold? Right. Yeah, because, you know, back in the day, and I used to do this, it was crazy. We used to do two spaces after a period. Mm-hmm. There I was wonder also- if they did that. There was also uh, a stat they gave too related to the tips that have changed. And and I don't remember the exact number, but there was some number of like almost all of the tips were changed or new. And it was like only a small percentage of the tips alone that 
that survived as is yep all the way through yeah, I thought so, that was really interesting. Uh, it was just interesting to hear the perspective. It's definitely uh, it was not the episode I expected to see based on the title. I thought it was going to go in a totally different direction, but it was it was really cool to see. And a lot of it was just about kind of like what changed and how they wish things had changed and what did change, what they hadn't expected. It was just a, a good kind of historical episode. It definitely made me excited for the new version that's coming. You know, when when the print version still doesn't come out until the fall, but it definitely like made me happy. You know that to like. Even in like, you know, the, the effort that we're going through, like, you know, I kind of in my mind, like as I was listening to it, I was like, you know, we're kind of like celebrating the 20 years of the pragmatic programmer, right? And, you know, I can't wait to hear to see the new version. I, I will say before we get into the show, I've been impressed with how well this has held up over yeah. a 20 year period, right? Like, I mean, th- there's definitely specifics that are, that are different, but. I, I mean, I'm still, I'm still like dumbfounded by things like tracer bullets where it's like. So far ahead of its time, twenty years ago, right? And we don't we don't call it that now, but it's agile, but it's right. the same thing, yeah. So, yeah, I guess uh, kicking this one off, then we are going to be talking about power editing. I I, I got a little uh, catch to that though too. Is that there will be like a there's another thing that's coming up in this episode related to what we were just saying about like things holding up over time. Mm-hmm. There was one there I was like super surprised about. So I'm teasing that now. Cool. All right. So one of the things that they say, and maybe this holds true nowadays, I don't know, but they say learn one editor very well and use it for everything. And I think maybe back then that might've been more apropos, but nowadays I feel like there's so many good editors that do so many things really well that why would I try and force this in one that's just not as good at it, right? So, yeah, I know. Um, like Visual Studio used to encourage you to use it for Python and for other types of languages and different types of things. And I just can't imagine doing that now. I know I I had to do that. I have done that, especially when I used to use Eclipse a lot. I used to use Eclipse for just about everything. I remember trying to do C sharp and Eclipse briefly. Uh, and I can't imagine doing that now. Just like I I can't imagine trying to use uh you know like IntelliJ for writing C-sharp, but they have Writer, which is very similar. So I could see using something in the same family. Like that makes a lot of sense to me. And Visual Studio Code at the same time is actually really good for just about everything. So unless you're doing like a, a hard, well-tooled, like static language like Java or C-sharp, then I think Visual Studio Code might be that editor. Yeah, that's kind of what I was getting at is if you're if you work in Windows and you're a C-sharp developer, Visual Studio makes a lot of sense. Could you do it in Visual Studio Code? Yeah, probably. But you're going to lose a lot of the benefits that, that have been baked in for that language for a long time. And so it's like, eh. It, but there are things that I just love doing in Visual Studio Code. If I'm dealing with JSON at all, I'm in Visual Studio Code because I, I can change language mode. I can format the thing. I can like I can I can get plugins to parse. Uh, stringified JSON. Like there's all kinds of features in Visual Studio Code that are just perfect for that. It's like my all around editor, whereas I have my specialized ones that I use, right? So like SSMS, right? Like SQL Server Management Studio is perfect for SQL Server. Could I use a different, like I tried to use Visual Studio Code with it at one point and it works, but it's no, it's just not the same. I did feel like, like, okay, so I understand where they're coming with from with here. And, and I totally am on board with, like, I love the Visual Studio analogy that, 
Joe brought up and, and definitely like we're, we definitely live in a world where we're trying to do everything in code. Like we're trying to make it do everything. Right. Um, you know, as a developer community, but I did kind of think that like, isn't this contradicting some things that were said in like a previous chapter where it was like, Hey, don't fall. Don't be that guy. Don't fall victim of, of just using the one editor. Yeah, that's right. right? I was like, Oh, you we just said don't, and now we're talking about just use the one. Well, nobody can be bothered to go back and read that other chapter now. So, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you're right. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think I mentioned uh, maybe it was last episode where I used to kind of be in the camp of like, you know, shortcuts are great and all, but don't waste your time. Don't try to get better at typing, and you know, you don't really need to care about this stuff because it just doesn't slow you down very much. Because the typing, my argument used to be that the typing was such a minimal part of the job that it wasn't worth working on. But I've since uh, renovated. <laughs> I'm regurgitated. I've changed the way I thought <laughs> about that particular thing. And that's from working in Java lately and trying to work with IntelliJ when I'm just not used to it. And it makes me realize just how much it can slow you down and how much of your cognitive load is dedicated to just typing or like even VI. Like I don't use VI day in and day out. So things even like copying a word or uh, – deleting three lines or things that I still have to Google for occasionally. And so it can be really frustrating and you don't realize that like when you're so caught up with the, like the minutia of typing that you're not thinking more high level and you're dedicating, you know, resources that could be going to like doing code better and better abstractions and all that stuff. And it's shifting way too much of that stuff just to these really minor things that you should be having kind of just done muscle memory. That's a good point. I never thought about it like that. It's actually a distraction when you're fighting your editor, it, yeah. it's true. Like it, it totally takes you out of what you were trying to do. I, I can totally give you an example of, I can of that exactly. Is that, and and this kind of ties back to you know a previous chapter where they were talking about like trying to like use similar key bindings throughout, and like we had, we were talking about using VI for example, mm-hmm. key bindings. Um, but have you ever found yourself where you are in? say Chrome and you're like stepping through some JavaScript stuff and you accidentally hit F5 to continue. Oh, so frustrating. When you meant yeah. to hit F8. But it's a reflex page. to hit F5 because like tools like Visual Studio have trained you that like, hey, when you're just ready to continue from the breakpoint, you just F5 it, right? Yep. But then when you're in Chrome and you do it, you, you end up reloading the thing, right? The the page reloading the page. So I mean it's one that that's a case where it's the reflex that Joe's talking about, but you also fight yourself <laughs> because you don't have the same key bindings that they discussed previously. Yeah, they're in the, in the book. everywhere. That is frustrating. And, yeah, and those it does, context switches kill you. They do. And it does. It does. You know, I was thinking about like, well, man, why why isn't there a way to like change those key bindings? But I guess F five has been such. You know, before D- Chrome Dev Tools, F five was the refresh. Yeah, and and that's all browsers too, right? right so right. yeah, yeah, it's crazy. So tip number twenty-two: use a single editor well. Yeah, definitely do that, right? If you're going to pick one, learn how to use it. Um, if you use a single editor for everything, the keystrokes, command shortcuts will become second nature. And same thing that we just said a second ago. Um, but <laughs> this one's funny. Uh, how many VI commands are just secondhand for you? I mean, like twelve, <laughs> five. <laughs> it, it's definitely like 
I I have to think about it for a moment. Like whenever I go to quit, my natural reflex is to write the file and then quit in the same command. That's what I do. Same VI command. Uh Uh-huh. So like I have to think about it if I like wait no 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 I didn't want to write it this time yeah no, yeah no just w quit. no w just quit yeah get rid of the w just quit yeah yeah I wonder uh, I'm trying to figure out just how many there are it's that's really hard to fig- to figure out yeah there's just stuff like going to the top of the file and going to the bottom I think I know those G and Shift G but those they'll make your life so much better if you've got like a long file to deal with and it can be so annoying to go Google for that when you're just trying to do something simple yeah that's why those cheat sheets are really good for for things like that. And and the book is trying to push you towards one of these um, ubiquitous editors, right? These things that exist on all the platforms. So VI, Emacs. I mean, nowadays, back then, they didn't have something like a Visual Studio Code that was everywhere, right? I think probably the closest thing before VS Code was probably Sublime Text. And, you know, it's things have changed quite a bit here just in the past couple of years. So th- there's a lot of options out there. Man, I just learned something new, Joe. Yeah, I didn't, what's that? I didn't know. So I knew Shift G would take you to the bottom. I didn't realize just G would take you to the top. I've always done colon zero. <laughs> oh, that uh, takes you to oh, line yeah, number, huh? Yeah. 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 You know, I thought there were like this hundreds show. I learned something commands. new every time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought there were hundreds, but there's actually not. Uh, VI is maybe not as horrible as I thought it was. Like there's m- maybe 40 if I'm looking right. Nah, somebody, somebody put a truncated cheat up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, that's garbage. Joe indexed all of the VI commands. I, I can yeah. think of 10 off the top of my head, and, and that's like none. I feel, it feels like, a, like one of those 80s coffee commercials. We've replaced this developer's VI cheat sheet. Let's <laughs> yeah. see which commands he's missing. Oh, man. The, the, the thing is, though, Joe, if you remember right, there's like all kinds of uh, – macros yeah yeah like macro keys and and modifier keys and stuff that you could it's it's crazy like it's crazy powerful and it's amazing how strong that thing is considering how old it is right but yeah i remember doing stuff like record a macro and i would do these five actions and i would repeat it x times uh now i'm wondering like what the heck was i doing and why was i doing vi like was that really the best way to solve that problem it was the coolest <laughs> yeah, it felt cool. It, like when it, man, whenever you know the command to do the one thing, you're like, "Check this out." Delete word. Boop. Nah, see that it was amazing. Like, like people hey Sarah, come here, check this out. Get yeah, exactly. Word. <laughs> <laughs> I deleted a word. Yeah, with only two key presses. <sighs> yeah, it was very exciting. All right. So, what features should you look for in your editor? Right. So one of the things that they that they say you should look for is that it should be configurable and that it should you should be able to configure all aspects of the editor to your preferences. And we kind of talked about this before. Like I, I I know that I'm probably pretty bad about just leaving defaults. I am. Too. We're good. We're good. <laughs> is that what you yep. said? Yeah, I think it's nice to be able to like leave defaults. And then when you ever return to someone else, you're like, yo, just hit that button. And it's the same button. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's I'm, a big deal. I'm pretty solid with the defaults, minus a couple of things. But we'll get into that here in a minute. Uh-oh. Yeah, um, I do like um, most editors now will like have a profile you can save with the project too. So in case you want to enforce things or if you want to mm-hmm. uh, kind of save things differently for different projects, I like that VS Code. We'll do it in like the .vs folder. Mm-hmm. That's really nice. Um, extensible. I definitely expect plugins now. 
And now, thanks to code, I expect to be able to do them like and install them within like two seconds. Uh, code is it spoiled me for installing. Yeah, Control things. Shift P. Man, so good. Uh, yeah, and with code, like you're not only, uh, I mean, it's to an extreme, right? Because it's not just like the look and feel of something. It's like, oh, hey, I want support for this other language. Mm-hmm. You want Docker support? Boom. Yeah, here's there's an extension for that. Oh, I see you're working in a Docker file. <laughs> right. Hey, would you like to install this extension? How'd it's you no. Know? <laughs> Clippy lives. Yep. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing stuff. Um, it, it's funny they said, but it, somebody put, but how often is it really done? Like pre Visual Studio Code type IDs, like IntelliJ. Well, okay, but hold on, wait, because there was a very important sense before that, because they were t- when they said extensible, they said you should be able to configure or integrate with the compiler of your choice. Oh, with the compiler, okay. And so I wrote, well, okay, pre-Visual Studio Code or similar, you know, Atom or whatever, like how often was that done, right? Like if you had IntelliJ, you were just doing Java. Right, right. right. Or if you had Visual Studio, you were just doing like whatever the Visual Studio languages were at the time, which it's always been a handful, but... You know, you weren't going out of your way to be like, oh, hey, let me uh, add in support for COBOL. Yeah, but now they've got things like these extensions or even further than that, right? It's not just swapping out your compiler. Like in Visual Studio, you can be like, hey, I want support to be able to, um, I don't know, edit edit projects in a different way. Or I want to be able to, uh, I don't want to use NuGet, I want to use Pact or something like that, right? Like there's extensions to actually make your IDE better as opposed to just, you know, swapping out features underneath the cover. So every, I'd say almost all of them have gotten pretty dang good at this. Like I can't think of an editor that's not extensible. Right. Today. Today. 2019. Now go back 20 years when this book was written. Right. And like, what were they talking about? Yeah. Borland. Oh, (laughs) well, Eclipse, Eclipse was kind of like that, but it was just so obviously catered to Java. So you'd be like, okay, I'm going to use Python for Eclipse. And you go in there and you're like, okay, what's my class path? Why is it asking me for a class path in this menu? Do I need to fill that out? Hey, but we used us some Eclipse for some cold fusion, didn't we? So yeah, it it was definitely a... Okay, well, I wasn't... Okay, so (laughs) Eclipse, fine. But I don't remember anything else though. Maybe, Maybe I just have like a bad memory then yeah i don't think there were no, many yeah in visual studio i definitely tried to do some weird stuff with visual studio like a python and stuff like that um but i think i think i forget how you installed it but uh you could install basically language support but i think it was because it had intended for you to do like iron python and so it has some support for kind of doing python syntax highlighting but really ultimately at the end of the day i was just using a big visual studio just for color you know some basic color coding for python yeah they also say that they should be programmable, right? So you should be able to script out or, or program some complex tasks, which I'd say a lot of them do have that. Yeah, I mean, and to this point, like they're not necessarily saying that you need to be able to like write your own extension right. to it, right? Uh, that's covered by it being sensible, but you know, this is more like macro related. Yep. And so I was thinking about like, well, snippets might be an example of this in Visual Studio. Yeah. Yeah. I used to love snippets. I don't do it anymore, though. I don't either. I think because auto-completion is just so good nowadays that you don't have to deal with it. Yeah, I don't really handwrite much HTML either. I used to like write a lot of HTML, and so a lot of my stuff was just like doing forms and stupid stuff like that where you have to, like the label and the input, and it'd be wrapped in a div, and so I would kind of have my common ways of doing that stuff, just all saved. 
You know what, though? I think that that actually holds true for where snippets matter a lot to me is when you're doing UI type stuff, right? Um, when, when you're doing C Sharp or, or that type of code, it doesn't usually seem to be something that I'm doing much of. Getters and setters in Java? Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> I, I do use it for that. <laughs> yeah, but that's like kind of built into the, the tools a lot of times now. Like yeah. You don't have to set those up. But like back back in the day, you did. Yeah, now you can say refactor encapsulate fields. Thank God. Oh, yep. Yeah, so I, I think I might have added this last time. I don't, I don't remember, but like what are some of, of our favorite editor features? Like code formatting is one for me, for sure. Yeah. I mean, like the type ahead, IntelliSense type of features – that's definitely up there now because I mean, almost every uh, IDE for any language now has that. And it's just such a, a boost to mm-hmm. productivity now because you can just type a few letters. Yep. That's what I wanted tab and move on to the next thought. And it's just, to me, that editor is just an extension of yourself as trying to like get the thought out as fast as possible. Right. Before you get distracted and forget it. Yep. Um, I, I'll, I'll list off a couple of the ones that I had here. Case toggling, I use quite a bit. I don't know why, but really? I do. I, I use that too. I use it quite a bit. Um, line manipulation. This one, I didn't think it, I would ever really care, but it turns out to be extremely useful. So what I mean by line manipulation is when you're splitting or joining lines, like let's say that you have something that needs to all be on one line inside a pair of quotes because it's part of a program. Being able to select a bunch of them, like in Visual Studio Code, and say, hey, join all the lines together, it's amazing. Like, it's just so easy to do. Um, block commenting. And then the other one that I had that I don't leave default is theming. And a perfect example is IntelliJ doing some Kafka Streams work in IntelliJ doing Java. You couldn't read the code. If you turn, if you went to Darkula, like almost everything was gray on dark gray. And it was like, <laughs> What, like, I seriously would stare at the screen like I, I don't even know what I'm looking at. And if you went to the light theme, then it was it was almost inversely as bad. And so, like, this, this one dark theme in IntelliJ is amazing. So, like, changing the theme and changing the font. Like, I've really grown on this fear code with ligatures. So. Oh, uh, watch it. Yeah. So. We got some hate. We got some hate. Uh, some people don't like ligatures. So I get why some people wouldn't. I, really? I totally I do. No, I do because it squashes what you're used to seeing, right? So yeah. like the triple equals, if you have that next to each other, you'll see that it's three blocks of equals, right? In the ligatures, it's just like a longer equals bar. And it's it does not, look pretty goofy. Yeah, it's not quite as obvious, but the not equals is sexy, right? So it's like, yeah, I don't know, man. But but that is the one part of an IDE that for me I almost never leave default. Yeah, I did. Uh, I also got some hate for saying I enjoy Darkula. <laughs> <You should. laughs> it was only like three, but I was like, wow, people really don't like Darkula. No, Darkula is awful, man. <laughs> uh, I added a couple things in here that I uh, that I really enjoy, like reg- regular expressions and being able to you know undo multiple times, of course. Uh, but yeah, I, lo- I love regular expressions and Visual Studio Code and Sublime before that. Um, bracket highlighting, you, do you guys use like oh, colorizer wait, wait, wait. or anything? Wait, 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 wait. You mean regular expressions as in like the ability to use it in a find and replace type of scenario? Yeah. Not as in write my code, right. regular expression code. Use it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like using regular expressions as a way of doing something else, like finding or totally, totally. Yeah. Just like little stupid stuff. Yeah. Yep. Bracket. Uh, bracket. I like I you guys use colorizer. Colorizer. Yes. Like for, that? for visual studio code. I don't. That's nice. Oh yeah, it is. It'll color the brackets different colors. Yeah. So in addition to like putting a, your mouse on it and seeing it, it just makes it so like I'm dealing a lot with big JSON files lately and it's just so much easier to be able to see like it it goes between like high contrast colors too. It's like blue, pink, Ooh, yellow, pink, whatever. I like and like when you're in like let's say you're in an if block, right? You'll see a line of that mm-hmm. color that matches the brackets all the way down all the way down through that if block. You used this as a tip of the week a while back, and I meant I to add it, but I wasn't at my computer, so I totally forgot about it. I yeah, no, that. it is awesome. Well, it's two seconds. Control Shift P, P colorizer. Boom. Uh, Auto tapping. So this is kind of mixed because I hate it when VI does it. Oh. But in Visual Studio Code, when you kind of paste something in and it, like it doesn't necessarily put it all the way to the left, it like puts it like in the the spot you want it. That works out well. I have a really tough time with this in. Uh, in VI, for whatever reason, I, I just need to learn how to paste unformatted, I guess. Because I'll like, copy like a Docker file and I'll open up a Docker file, maybe a YAML file, and I'll paste. And it'll start like tabbing stuff over. So it's like a, I don't know, like a landslide or a hill. I'm like, what? Yeah. I've and I don't know how happen. to undo it. I have to close the whole file and start again. <laughs> I do too. It's irritating. Yeah. You like rename it to text and paste it and then change it back to YAML. Yeah, so that's annoying. Uh, uh, vertical vertical selection was something I learned about here on the show. I forget who who brought it up. Oh, that's time, what I have as mine. Yeah. Oh, block selection. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, that, I love that. I actually, and surprisingly, use that a lot. And in Visual Studio Code in particular, it's really nice. Like, I don't know if you notice, like, and sometimes when you do block selection and you kind of hit the left or right arrow keys, it'll move over like one or two keys. In Visual Studio, you can do the cool stuff like the um, in code. You can do like Control and arrow, and it will move it to the end of the word. Dude, right. so dude, I, I was actually, I was going to do a video on this Visual Studio Code's um that vertical selection you're talking Box about. Selection, yeah. You could actually hit the end key. So if you're on like 15 different lines and they're all you know different links or whatever, most editors won't do this, but you can hit the end key. It'll put yep. you at the end of every one of those lines. Like if you need to put a comma on them, yep, and it'll do all of them. Huh. It is so amazing. But but does it do it at the last character that's on that individual line, or does it still block the other end of that? You know what I'm saying? It's exactly like, what like you Like you want. might have like 10, 10 spaces, 10 no, no, spaces no. on one line and five on another. Oh, no, okay. it's at the proper. Oh, that's beautiful. No, it's oh it's amazing. It's exactly what you'd want it to That be. should have been your tip of the week. <laughs> Can I steal that one? I'm going to make a video of no, it. No, I'm gonna. that's my tip of the week. <laughs> hey, if you were listening to that already... Just forget about it for now. Yeah, uh, I was definitely going to mention block selection because that has been a game changer ever since I've seen that. Now I'm like, it's so awesome. And then sometimes I'll find myself in a tool where it's not on by default or it works a little bit different. And it'll kind of like frustrate me because I'm so used to like in the Microsoft tools, just being able to do like a uh, an alt shift and then, you know, selection with the uh, the keyboard. And some tools want you to use the mouse instead. Click. That's so and irritating. I'm like, no, I would rather just use the arrow key. Thank you. And like, like data grip, for example, is one of those where if you do the alt shift and then the arrow, it, it moves the line. It'll move the line. I know, dude. Yeah. I hate that. So, so, much, so instead you have to do like a, I want to say, if I remember right off the top of my head, it's thing. It's like alt shift and insert, and that will toggle the selection mode. Ah. It's either it's either Alt Shift and Insert or it's Control Alt. So either replace the Control and the Shift. It's one of those. But um, 
yeah, so that you can do the box selection mode like I'm used to doing in you know, so many other editors. Moving the freaking line around, man, it's so irritating. IntelliJ does it. I do it every day. I mess it up yeah. every day. I mean, I, I'm not saying that that doesn't have its value. Right. I mean, it does. And, and I use that. The thing is, what's funny is because I've, I've messed it up so many times, I know that it moves the line. I'm like, oh, that's actually useful right now. Let me, let me do that. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> and you could select multiple lines and move them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is a cool feature, by the way. Like, you know, a lot of times in the past, you would typically go down and cut the line that you wanted to do and then paste it, but then you lost your clipboard. So yeah. the move line allows you to actually shift things around, but not lose your clipboard. So, yeah. You know, I've never had good luck with a, a clipboard extension. Like there's been a bunch of them so you can have like multiple things in your clipboard. I've tried a couple of them. And I've just never found one that really fit. But I mean, you know, your love of Visual Studio Code though, I mean, Visual Studio Code's the same way. You'd have to do an alt shift and then the mouse. Mm. Control, alt. Yeah, it's different than big Visual Studio. You have yeah. to hold the uh, control and alt. Yeah, it works. So control, alt, and then... And then the arrows. I mean, I'm trying it now and it's not... Or working. it might be shift, alt, and the arrows. It's shift, control, alt. Shift, control, alt. Yeah, yeah which is different than Visual Studio, which is just shift, alt. Yeah. But I can't up arrow, though. How does that work? I've definitely done it. I mean, I don't have it on here. Control, so shift, arrows. You can do it. You can go up. I mean, because like you're on a Mac right now, though. I, I'm talking about Windows. I don't know what it would be yeah, like. Yeah, because because this is Windows. where I'm saying like to just add to this frustration, right? Because I'm so used to the block selection, Visual Studio Code, uh, Alt Shift Arrow will re- re- copy and paste the line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So and I'm like, that's not what I meant a, at all. And that is another frustrating thing too, right? So this what we're talking about just compounds the problem if you're between Mac and Windows. And, and other OSs, right? Like yeah. it's whatever. I mean, thing is, you're going to get comfortable with some stuff, but these are some of the things we love. So one other one that, you know, this is the, this is the uh, downside to going last here in this list is that like you guys took so many good ones, but um, one that wasn't said was change history. So, <clears throat> you know, in Visual Studio, for example, um, you can see like, you know, there's like a the uh, what do they call that? IntelliSense? No, uh, Code Lens. Yeah. You know, that'll show up at the top, and it'll have like some information about like, hey, who changed this last, and you know, how many times has it changed or whatever, right? And uh, specific to Visual Visual Studio Code, there's a previous tip of the week that we've talked about, which is the Git Lens extension, and Git Lens is my ultimate favorite because you can be on an individual line of code, and it'll be like, this person changed it on this date here's the commit ID and here's their commit message. So if there's ever a question about like, you know, I find that so helpful when you're debugging something and you're like, well, how am I, what am I looking Am I looking at something that's like, you know, three days old and right. maybe it's a problem or is it, you know, three years old and it's likely okay. Right. Right. And so sometimes when you can see that kind of context of the change history, it can kind of give you a, a feeling like, this this might be okay. Right. Yeah, that is that is an excellent, excellent feature. And then Joe always likes to do our challenges. So yeah, I do love these challenges. So it says learn the, the language your editor uses for customization and scripting. Then write code tasks uh, for things you do repeatedly. Do you guys know what Visual Studio Code is written in? Uh, it's in 
uh, it's in it's based off of Adam, Adam, which was based off of Node, right? No, oh, Electron. Electron, but, Electron, Electron. But that's yep, but so that's, that's not script. Okay, okay. Yep, and Visual Studio the extensions are C sharp, so I assume it's C sharp. I, I don't know. Don't know. We you know uh, IntelliJ. All their stuff is definitely Java for sure. Uh, JetBrains. Uh, so here's another one. Uh, oh, yeah, the friend got to mention uh, Ryan Monster. Buddy uh, wrote an extension that's really great for finding uh, emojis, <laughs> not emojis. Um, awesome and <laughs> other other uh, icons. It's really nice. No, it just slips in there. I like this one too. Uh, try to stump your friends with knowledge of your editor. Try to accomplish editing tasks in as few keystrokes as possible. So you can imagine like playing horse and you're like, all right, do this to this and four keystrokes or less. <laughs> but, <laughs> so, awesome. I mean, there's the horse thing, but like when I wrote this down, I was like, well, can this show count? Like, does this count? Does this show count for the three of us as that challenge? Right? Because we're always doing that. Like even even during the course of this show, like Joe mentioned, uh, you know, lowercase G would take you back to the top of the file, and I was like, oh, I always do, yeah. you know, colon zero. Right. So you yeah, just I think we need to have competition. We need to have we need to host a tournament, <laughs> <laughs> a horse tournament for VI, uh, and I'm the judge. I'm not a contestant. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. That's not fair. Uh, it's good to be the judge. Yeah. All right. Well, we can talk about one of my favorite topics. Let's talk about Git. Oh, wait, no. Oh, this is pre-Git. Yeah, this is more This is just source code control. We're out. So they called it source code control. I could not bring myself to type that in. I had to put source control because, like, that's all it is. Like, it doesn't matter. So, uh, So, yeah. uh, Git, I think, was 11 years old. Is that right? Is it really? That's quite a... so. Uh, 2005. So it is now 14 years old. Wow, man. What do you think Subversion... When do you think Subversion was released? Ooh... Subversion was after CVS. So I'm going to go. Wait, you said Git was 14? 14. Yep. Subversion's going to be a good six or seven more than yeah, It's 21. Thinking, I was thinking in the late 90s for its introduction to the world. Milestone one was October 2000, which was far less than version one. 19. Wow. Version one didn't come out until 2004. Okay, so it was right behind Git, but uh, I'm pretty no, it was right before right, Git, right ahead of Git, or yeah, right, right ahead of it. But I'm pretty sure I used it way before it was right. in its GA. Version. So then that means that Subversion, Mercurial, and Git all came out like really close. Because uh, am I wrong? Wasn't like Git came out as like Mercurial was was gaining popularity, and it was like no, we would rather not go that route. We and that's and then. Linus started working on Git instead. Am I? Mercurial is just, a, it was first announced in 2005. So it's one year later. Mm. One year later than Subversion. But it's I mean, I'm, I'm comparing it to Git though. Because if Git is 14 years old, then they would have both came out in 2005. Uh, Git was 2014. Oh, 2014, you said. Mercurial was 2005. So Mercurial is actually slightly newer. Wait, wait, slightly. You said Git was two thousand four a minute ago. I thought he said that Git was fourteen years old. Yeah, you did. Which would have put it at two thousand five. Oh, sorry, they're both two thousand five. Yeah, I can't do math. They're they were uh, like <laughs> even the same month. <laughs> they were both in April of two thousand five, but Git is a few days earlier. Oh, is it? Okay. Yep. I'm. A, I guess I had that wrong. And Subversion was two thousand, and CVS was nineteen ninety. 
I thought I, I thought I had remembered some story then. I guess that maybe I m- totally had that wrong about uh, the hit, like the beginnings of Git then. So I apologize. Well, that's been there announced. You know, so it's like, I don't know really, when people really started noticing or paying attention. Could, things could have changed in his early days. Yeah. Well, we need to add a favorite feature for Joe for his next IDE of choice, and that needs to be uh, math. <laughs> yeah, I need, I need a calculator. <laughs> math with two Fs. I need Clippy back. I need, I need like Siri in the corner helping me out with things. So it's funny. The, I remember the first time I was introduced to source control some long, long time ago. And the selling feature to me was it was a backup for your code. Yeah. Right. Like that, that was, that was what it was. And it wasn't mentioned in this book or anything, but that's kind of how everybody viewed it is like, Hey, it's not just on your file system. Right. Um, but in the book, they tried to take a little bit more, um, I guess, adult type approach to this. So it gives you this undo button that allows you to undo a day ago, five days ago, weeks ago, whatever, right? Like that's actually a big deal. Not because it's just an undo, but because you can get back to a working state or before you did something crazy that needed to be undone. See, this is what I found curious about this section. That To me, the most important feature of source control isn't mentioned. In here, like this whole concept of a giant undo, oh, well, that, that's only that's only that only matters if the past is what you care about. So, so let's do this then. Let's go through the list that's here because I'm curious what you say the most important feature is and how it doesn't fit in here. <laughs> okay. So, the next one they have is it allows you to see who changed something. Mm-hmm. That's good. I'm game with that. Yeah. Um, commenting allows you to see why somebody changed something. Right, so that's good. You can see the difference between the the multiple versions of the files. Also a nice thing. Which files change the most? We've talked about that in the past. It can matter a lot in terms of regressions and that kind of stuff. Um, If you use it properly and you tag your releases or whatever, then you can go back to a specific time and recompile the code just the way it was released at that point in time. Um, It keeps code in a central repository. That is not necessarily the case nowadays. Back then with CVS, um, Visual Source Safe, all that, yes, that was a centralized thing with Git. Now you have the distributed, but whatever. You, you have you have a way to be able to access the thing. And I'd say most people probably use Git in a centralized fashion um, in terms of where it's actually hosted. Um, and then it allows you to do multiple changes or concurrent changes, right? Like the three of us can be working on a file at the same time. And if you're doing things if you have a workflow that is conducive to it, then it's not going to be that painful. And what was the episode that we talked about the various different Git workflows? Oh, episode uh, three. Episode, no, 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 no. Oh, Git workflows. Git workflows. Um, yeah, comparing Git workflows was the name of the episode. I don't remember the number. Okay, but you're I'll thinking Joe's thinking of source control etiquette was yeah. like episode three or something like that. That's a good one. I'll look it up. So you said yours didn't fall into any of these buckets. So I'm curious. Yeah, I was mistaken. I forgot it. It's in here. Oh, okay. Oh. What was it? Well, yeah. So, um, I mean, because the most important thing that I was thinking about was this last one, like the concurrent, like hmm. the ability to merge in changes to the same file, you know, that you know, might be edit, being edited concurrently. Now they talk about the concurrent changes and you, you think back to like, this was written 20 years ago. Visual source safe was a thing at the time that this was written. Right. And visual source safe, you it you know, it would lock you out 
you couldn't do that. Right. Like, Man, you would be like, pain. nope, Alan has that file checked out already. Like, it, you know, for those that have never used Visual Source Safe, Visual Source Safe worked in the, I like to think of it as like the library model. Like, if Alan's checked yeah. that book out of the library, I can't get it. And that was so bad because if somebody didn't check it in at the end of the day, right. you couldn't touch it. Yeah, unless you were like an administrator on the box, and in which case you might mess them up in regards to any changes that they had, right? But oh, yeah. the distributed nature, distributed development nature that has happened since with systems like um, CVS, Subversion, Git, Mercurial, like that to me is the most important thing. Yeah. I like how everyone kind of agrees that Git's so much better than Subversion, but then we all mostly use it like Git. I mean, uh, damn. We all use it like Subversion with the centralized model. I mean, the branching is cheap, so that's the big difference there. And, and of course, like we've got our own local copy of the repository, so we don't, we don't really use it like it's centralized. It's just funny that we tend to have like one big centralized repository. But I guess that would depend on what project you're working on there too, right? Like, I mean, Im- imagine if you're working on the Linux kernel, what you just said isn't true, right? Like if you're working I mean, I guess we all have our own local repositories that we can check into and merge and keep things up to date, uh, feature branches and stuff. So, I mean, yeah, I guess I do use it distributed, but it's just, I, when I say distributed, I just mean me and then like the main. Yeah, I mean, we do, <clears throat> more often than not, I would say that we probably stay with just the one origin, right? But if you, like if forking is part of your workflow, right, which is very common in like, uh, GitLab, GitHub, you know, those type of uh, environments, right, then you're going to have multiple origins that you might use, in which case that distributed nature is to your advantage, right? Yeah. Is it? By the way, it was episode 90. That was way harder to find. Since <laughs> yeah, I- we don't show it on that. We should fix that one these days. Uh, <sighs> iTunes and their stupid lack of numbers. Yeah, so episode 90, if you go yep. to codingblocks.net slash episode 90, uh, we actually covered different Git workflows. And that's I only bring it up because the concurrency editing thing is easy if you're using the right workflow for what you're doing. Otherwise, it can be an absolute nightmare of code conflicts, nonstop conflicts. Yeah, it, you know, they made this point here, though, in, in this chapter where, like, the they were talking about, like, the better um, source control systems keep track of the compiler and OS versions as well. Mm. And I made a note here for myself because I was like, wait, which ones do that? Yeah, like, kind of weird. I don't remember yeah, what's that specific ever. about the. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, I don't either. Like, maybe, maybe something like. Rational Rose was that no? What was the Rational one? Was it Rational? No, Rational Rose wasn't that was the, the UML control, stuff. Right? That was the UML stuff. Yeah, Clearcase. It was Clear Rational Clearcase. Never used it. Maybe that one did it. Like, I mean, that one. I was trying to think of like obscure ones, right? And like, I I don't remember that one that well. So I'm like, well, maybe it was the Rational one. Yeah, I don't know. So tip number twenty three, Joe. You want to hit this one? You know, uh, IBM is still selling Clearcase, but uh, yeah, twenty three. <laughs> always use source control. Uh, I tend to check in real, like locally, even like pretty often. Stuff I don't even push it up with GitHub just because it feels strange to not. It's so easy to accidentally delete a folder or something and just be like, "Oops." Yep. Yeah, I mean they they make a point to call it out. Like even if you're just a single person on the project, you yep. know, still use use source control. Now, what do you feel about this? They also called out, hey, <laughs> commit your documentation, your memos, your phone numbers, memos to vendors. You know, yep. I don't know. I mean, I used to be bigger on that, 
But so many of the tools that I used to do that with actually have that built in now. Like Google Docs saves different versions. Right. Uh, what was something? Oh, KeyPass, uh, LastPass will save different like older versions of your passwords and stuff, which is a really nice feature. So so many have like that kind of built in now that I don't know. I don't really care so much about that. It, go ahead. It does make me like jokingly think back to this. I think we've talked about this before. I don't remember if it was on air or not, though. But um, I'm sure we've talked about this before about like using uh git for operating system backups uh, do you remember that conversation mm-hmm. yeah i mean technically i guess you could i think i think the only reason why i probably don't do this with like memos and that kind of stuff nowadays is because typically your project management software integrates pretty tightly into your source control so so you don't necessarily need to save it in git you know you've, you they're they're kind of linked like if you're using something like Atlassian or well, I mean, you know, to to Joe's point though, I mean, we live in a very different world now. So you have yeah. OneDrive, you have Google Drive, uh, you know, you have these other systems that are automatically versioning for you that you don't have to really think about it. Right, that's a good know? point. So yeah, but I mean, also think too about in regards to them saying like version everything. You know, we talked at the very beginning of this book about like the tools that they even used to create the book. Right? right. And how like it was literally like this book is literally compiled. And I'm I'm saying that in like a computer True. sense of the word, you right. know, computer science sense of the word, right? This book is compiled like you would compile any other source code. And like, you know, that episode of the change log that Joe mentioned earlier, right? You know, if you listen to that episode, they go into that not into great detail, but I mean, they, they talk about it a little bit more, you know, just like how easy it was for them because they do keep all everything related to the book and version control. And because they are like literally compiling it, how they could change things. So when they say put everything in source control, you know that they mean it. (laughs) Like they, they took that to heart Uh, and still do. That's hilarious. So the uh, another one of the benefits is you have these builds, right? If you have things in source control, then you can automatically pull that data down from source control and use it to do your builds and also run any kind of tests that you have. Now, they were talking about doing things for regression tests and whatnot, but what was funny is they mentioned that they do these things nightly, right? Like you're going to run your build nightly, you know, nowadays, especially with the tooling available. Right. I mean, every time you commit, you're right. probably having it doing a build and, and, and all that Learning kind of stuff. Tests and everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, um, it was definitely a different world back then. I mean, we, we've talked about that before, you know, like even, I know that even I've been on projects where like that was the norm, you know, yeah. you, you, you just did nightly builds cause it was too costly. Like, especially like you remember, um, like just even compiling your JSP pages, right? Like, you know, it was it was just more efficient to just have something run through at night and pre-compile all of those to hit all of those pages. And then that way you didn't have to deal with that, uh, you know, if you were trying to like test something out, right? Yep. So, yeah, and, and they, they made this point here, which, <clears throat> you know, they called it the tremendous hidden benefit of using source control is the fact that you could have this... Uh, automation and repeatability around the builds. And and it's still a big deal today. So I don't Jeff, know if it's considered hidden benefit today though. Not today. No. Like I said, a lot of the tooling nowadays, your GitHubs, your VS Onlines, whatever, they're they're just amazing what they give you for free. So Yeah, even Windows backups, like uh depending on the version of Windows, you can get uh, older versions of your files stored automatically. Hmm. It's pretty cool. 
So our challenges, Joe. Yeah, we got a couple challenges. So install a source control setup on your personal machine. <laughs> uh, Not what? that hard okay. nowadays. Yeah, uh, I think uh, it probably already it probably already comes with Windows now. I don't know. You probably have like, like eighteen of them. It doesn't come with Windows, which is really crazy. I think it's yep. on Mac. It's definitely on every uh, Linux system. No, wait, wait, wait. It's not on Mac unless you have the Mac build tools, right? Uh, oh, is that what it is? Yeah, but you have to have version. the you have to have the Mac build tools. Okay, maybe that's why I always had it. <laughs> It was like a, my my developer checklist. I used to have like a big checklist of all the things that I needed to install and configure, and it would take me a long time to set up a new computer. Nowadays, it's like down to a few things. I don't even keep the list anymore. It's just like node and Git, and then I'll take care of the rest as I need to. <laughs> because he's a JavaScript developer. What about what about <laughs> chocolatey scripts though? I don't bother chocolate anymore. What? Yeah, I don't either. All right, you know what? (laughs) You guys don't use your bin folders properly. (laughs) Nope. You're not like creating automatic scripts to rebuild your dev environments. That's right. No. Yeah. That better be in the readme. And then, (laughs) (laughs) and then the uh, the other one we got here. Yeah, take a look through some open source repositories for your favorite language. Now, this one I really do like. Every once in a while, I'll go look at open source projects, like big and small. And I'm always amazed at how hard it is to understand like what the heck is going on for like any project of any size. So whenever you feel bad about like maybe your workplace and like maybe the code you got there and how hard it is and how obtuse, like go look at any open source project. And I'm sure, you know, I'm not saying that it's bad, but just when you look at anything that you're not intimately familiar with, any project of size and complexity, you're like, Wait, where's the execute? Where's the, where's start? Where's uh-huh. the, where's the main? The main for yeah. Firefox. Go 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 to Firefox and try to find the main. Like, good luck. It doesn't even necessarily need to be like at Firefox scale, though. It could just be like a third party library. Yeah, you know, yeah, that anything. you might want to use. Like yeah. I, I have a definitely lot of stuff's really myself, hard to build from source. Yeah, I've definitely found myself here lately, like digging into the Dapper source code, trying to understand, yeah. like, wait, why? <laughs> yep and a lot of complex stuff um there'll be licensing issues so they won't be able to deliver all the pieces you need so like you need to go do this and then you go need to go get the jdbc drivers and then you need to go do this based on what you're going to be using it for and you're just like oh why can't you just give it to me yeah all right mp3 you used to be a big deal like if you wanted to play mp3 and like audio players and stuff you had to like go down with the codex separately from yeah. someone who's providing it to you illegally so so much for garbage. winamp yeah. Yes. Really. Because it really the kicks the butt. llama's tail. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Clubhouse. Clubhouse is the first project management platform for software development that brings everyone together so that teams can focus on what matters, creating products our customers love. While designed to be developer first, the UI is simple and intuitive enough for all teams to enjoy using. And Clubhouse has been totally built for developers by developers. And you can really tell because they've sprinkled things like Git tips throughout the UI. And they even make a big point to highlight open source projects that integrate with them. And they're always adding new features. I mean, we've talked to you about the search enhancements that they've added, the Android app that they've added. You can even go and see their roadmap and see what's coming out next for Clubhouse in 2019. And Clubhouse has recently launched the Clubhouse community, where you can connect with other software engineers and product managers using Clubhouse. With a simple API and robust set of integrations, Clubhouse also seamlessly integrates with the tools you already use every day, like Slack or GitHub. They get out of your way so you can focus on delivering quality software on time. Sign up for two free months of Clubhouse by visiting clubhouse.io slash codingblocks. 
Again, that was clubhouse.io slash coding blocks to get your two free months and see why companies like Elastic, Full Story, and LaunchDarkly love Clubhouse. So like you've heard us say before, if you're a longtime listener, uh, if you haven't already, we would greatly appreciate it if you would leave us a review. You can find some helpful links at www.codingblocks.net slash review. But in case if you find yourself using a system where you can't leave a review, I wanted to encourage you to like, hey, put out a tweet uh, with the link to the show. Or if you're using a system like... Uh, not Overwatch. That's a game. Uh, what's the other one? The uh, Overcast. Overcast. Thank you <laughs> for the assist there. I was shoot somebody. Shoot somebody while you're <laughs> purposely setting you up there to make sure you were paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. If you're using like Overcast, you know, Star it. You know, like whatever, whatever the the system of choice is that you're using. You know, thumbs up it. Uh, you know, put it out there on Reddit or something like whatever you could do to help spread the word. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. It'll help the show grow. And it really means a lot to us when we find those because inevitably we do find them and it, we always uh, enjoy it. And we like to, we share it amongst each other. Like, Hey, did you see this one? So with that, we head into my favorite and your favorite part of the show. <laughs> Survey says, all right. Uh, back in episode 108, we asked, do you discuss podcasts with your friends or coworkers? And your choices were, are you kidding? That's all we talk about. Or absolutely, they need all the help they can get. Or absolutely, I need all the help I can get. Or no, it's my secret superpower. They can't know where my tips come from. All right. So I think Alan went first last time. Maybe. So let's say Joe goes first this time. Maybe oh, I should man, just come up tough. with something to where like if it's an even number, it starts with A. And if it's an odd number, then it's J. Oh, that'd be good. Good work. Wait, which one was it? But yeah, so this is, this is J, uh, odd number J. All right, odd number J. I can't remember that. All right. Um. Yeah. This is really tough. I think that I discuss podcasts with friends or coworkers, but I try not to let them know that it's podcast. So I'm going to say it's my secret superpower. Hmm. Okay. What's the percentage, sir? Fifty. Fifty. Oh, you went all in almost. Yep. All right, so... If going halfway in is all in, you went all in. That's right. You went all in halfway. <laughs> you went all halfway in. Um, so I don't know on this one. I, I'm going to say absolutely I need all the help I can get. Mm, like it. Okay. And then Come on. I'm going to go 50. Why not? Yes. <clears throat> Drum roll, please. No, don't. No, I said don't. I said don't. I said don't. I'm trying not to I spit all over the microphone. As soon as, I, as soon as it came out of my mouth, the words came out of my face, and I'm like, wow, oh, what did I just do? Okay. Um, Joe wins. Oh, wow. Yep. How high is it? It was 58% of the vote. Wow. Yeah. Selfish people, man. Yes. <laughs> no, you, people think that they look at you weird when you tell them where it comes from. What? <laughs> 
Yeah, I remember somebody. Uh, they made me listen to Eminem, and uh, and it made me think less of them because <laughs> I thought they were like really funny and witty. And it turned out they just listened to rap, and so all the times off that they were making just you know interesting jokes, it turned out they were just like singing. Dude, that's <laughs> <laughs> really. <laughs> Yeah, rabbit is going to say this to yeah, us. Right? Like, I I can't take yeah. this right now. Uh, all right, all you selfish people out there, share with a friend. <laughs> no, you got to protect your sources. <laughs> Don't tell them that you got it from cutting blocks. Uh, no, wait. I mean, it's not like you're a journalist here. Uh, <laughs> you you can tell people where you heard it from. Oh man, that's awesome. <laughs> You even like whatever you don't tell a friend about the show. <laughs> no, okay. Hold on, Joe. We got to have like a little marketing 101 here. <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, All right. Well, for today's survey, based off of episode 110, I thought it might be fun to ask what's your favorite shell of choice? Because if you recall, that's what that episode was about. So, your choices are bash, K shell, ash, dash, Z shell, fish, command prompt, yep, or PowerShell. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I feel like if you say command prompt, we should have a talk. <laughs> right in at comments at coding blocks. Not yeah. getting the jury or anything like that. Feel free to pick command prompt if it's honestly your favorite. But yeah, maybe you didn't know that there were any other options. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't even realize like how many different uh, sh- different shells there were for Linux that I, I've only really ever used Bash or K shell. Like, I never even bothered with some of these other ones. Yeah, yeah but I it was good things about Z shell, but I've, I've never used it. Yeah, it was interesting. Like one of the things that I learned while putting this list together was like, well, I also knew that there was just like plain SH, right? But what I learned though was that that's really just calling one of these other shells. It's just like the default for you. It's the wrapper. So I was like, ah. I did not know that. You know, uh, Programming Throwdown had a really great episodes on on shell recently. Shells. You should check them out. We should. Oh, I, sh- I thought you crap, didn't I tell. I did not tell you. Yeah, I thought you who. didn't share. Man, what is it? Yeah, I, I didn't mean to tell you which episode. So, yeah, just there was a great episode on shells, but I'm not going to tell you which one. <laughs> How would that make sense in the context of not telling your friends that it ca- that this tip came from a podcast? If you're just going to say, like, I heard a great episode from the radio <laughs> that talked about shells. I got to pick up my sources. Uh. This episode is sponsored by Datadog, a monitoring platform for cloud-scale infrastructure and applications. Datadog provides dashboarding, alerting, application performance monitoring, and log management in one tightly integrated platform so you can get end-to-end visibility quickly. Visualize key metrics, set alerts to identify anomalies, and collaborate with your team to troubleshoot and fix issues fast. Go ahead and try it out yourself today by starting a 14-day free trial and also receive a free Datadog t-shirt when you create your first dashboard. Head to www.datadog.com slash coding blocks to see how Datadog can provide real-time visibility into your application. Again, visit www.datadog.com slash coding blocks to sign up today. All right, so let's talk about 
debugging. So we probably we probably all have heard this, but just as a refresher here, this term is credited. The term bug is credited to Rear Admiral Dr. Grace Hopper, who's the inventor of COBOL, where there was a moth in a relay of the computer system. And when asked to explain why the system wasn't working as expected, a technician reported that there was a bug in the system. That's still amazing to yep. me. You know, have you ever seen her like on um, like the David Leonard show or anything? Mm-mm. She's really funny. Um, she was famous. I didn't know about this before, but I, I watched it fairly recently. She was famous for carrying nanoseconds around for her. And I, I didn't know what the heck that meant. So I Googled it and I found a clip where I think it was Letterman. Maybe Johnny Carson. She's on the show and she like pulls out this like wire and he's like, what's that? It's a nanosecond. This is how far light travels in a nanosecond. When people, when like other admirals or whatever, complain to me like how long it takes for things to you know happen. I show them like, look, this is a nanosecond. Do you know how many nanoseconds there are between here and that satellite? It's a lot. <laughs> come, come here, break. Anyway, it's kind of funny to have like a visual rep- representation, but it's on YouTube. So she, um, she uh, only passed away kind of fairly recently. Yeah, it and, was not. Um, I always thought of her as like being kind of like a, like a you know, a luminary from a long time ago. But she was actually really active, still doing cool stuff and educating people for a long time, like recently. It did make me question though, like with the way, <clears throat> the way this was written in the book though, where like. She's credited with it, but it was a technician that made the comment. Yeah. And it was like yeah. one of the, it made me think of like one of those things is like, wait a minute. Is this where the <laughs> boss yeah. takes all the credit for the thing you did? <laughs> probably. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Oh yeah, she passed away in nineteen ninety two. I thought it was more recent, but there was uh, yeah, a, I guess there it must have been another, Johnny Carson. Yeah, I don't know. Well, maybe you're thinking of the C inventor. Because wasn't that just and like a Richie. handful of years back? Yeah. I don't know. We sound like old fogies now. Yeah, exactly. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, well, why don't I tell you about my the corns on my feet? <laughs> wow. I'll get some that corn out. shell for you. Wow. Corn <laughs> shell. <laughs> is that what is it? Bunion shell? <laughs> All right. So uh, they make a point here, which I felt was very sad but true uh, that debugging will consume a majority of your day. Yes. If you're lucky, then it's not meetings. Well, <laughs> well there's okay. that. Well, there's that. That's also debugging, just not code. But, yeah, you yeah, know. That's true. <laughs> it, it made me question, like, I wonder if there's some stat out there. And maybe there is. There's got to be some stat out there that, like, for every line of code, how much time is spent debugging it. Man, I don't think I want to see it. Yeah, they see. They say how, how I've heard how more often it's read than written. Let's see if I can find that. All right. Well, while you're looking for that, we'll we'll go ahead just to keep the ball rolling. But there's the uh, uh, psychology of debugging, and they say that you just need to accept that debugging is just another form of problem solving, and and attack the problem like that. Like work work at it like that. Like don't don't get defensive or upset. Just attack it like, hey, this is another form of problem solving. Yep. And then it doesn't matter who's to fault for the origin of this bug. Because it's your problem now. I mean, I so agree with that. I cannot tell you how much it irks me for people to point fingers when something's going on. It's like, I, I don't care. But right. 
you know, if I'm being honest with myself, though, I know I have definitely been guilty of like somebody will have written some code and then they leave the company and then a bug is found in their code and I and I get tasked with fixing it. And I'm like, oh, just kind of like you're cursing that person, you know, in your mind, you're like, oh, my God, this is awful. Why would you do it this way? Yeah. No, I mean, we've all been there, but but if you ever had that thing where something's broken and somebody's like, well, who did it? And it's like, who yeah. cares? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Fix it. <laughs> Wrong matter. question. Like, yeah, if you want people like hiding their mistakes, that's a great question to ask. Well, right. Other than that, uh, by well, the way, if I looked at the ratio. Um, I found where Bo- Uncle Bob said 10 to 1. 10 to 1 time debugging, huh? You'll yeah. read it 10 times at, for writing it once? Yeah, I couldn't find like a hard citation where he got that from though. Huh. So... That's a lot. Yeah, you know, going back to the who, who did it who you know, question. It? We treat it like it's a who done it, like it's a mystery, like it's a murder mystery. Like, oh, there's a bug in this class. Well, who wrote that? You know, and to your point, like, who cares? But we treat it like yeah. knowing that answer is going to matter. It's paramount. But you know, there are the there are times though where it's like you know there are there are work environments where it's like the who done it question becomes like oh we'll have that person fix it right right yeah. Because they they know that area of the code, they know that area of the app, that file, that class, whatever, that function, that feature. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, as long as it's to try and make progress and not to to try and like squash somebody. Because let's be honest, every single person has written some bugs, right? Like yeah. it's gonna happen. But I mean, don't make me feel like I'm the only one though that's cursed out the person that left the company. Oh no, no, had, like, we've all done it. Code. We've all done it. I got screenshots of my code before from friends. <laughs> like, yeah. like, what is this comment? What? Oh yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I mean, if you wouldn't put such gems in there, yeah, man, my comments yeah. are entertaining. <laughs> But, you know, I do like uh, sometimes just knowing who did it can give you a lot of context. Like if you've been at the company for a long time and you're like, like, oh, Alan did this. So it was probably when he was working on this thing or that thing. And so those are the kinds of things I need to be thinking about when I'm thinking about taking this thing out or changing it. So those are the areas that I should be cognizant of. Yeah, that's true. So tip 24 is fix the problem, not the blame. Yes. Yep. Down with that. Uh, debugging mindset. So... Adopt the right mindset before you start and drop your defenses and forget your ego. Totally believe that. A lot of times I tend to uh, come at it from like, let me prove why this bug cannot exist. And that's just totally not a good mindset of going way of going into things. Because you end up uh, just looking at things in kind of a weird way. And I have a real bad uh, habit of doing this where I'm just like so determined to like catch the compiler. Well, it's like you're <laughs> right. looking at it through like filtered lenses already. Right. Like, yeah. And so I'm thinking of like all the ways that couldn't possibly be rather than like, what's the one way that it could be. <laughs> right. That's because that's ultimately what my goal is. Right. So just going at it from the wrong angle. So I like that. Uh, yeah. yeah. Forget about the project, from the project pressures and get comfortable. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's the way I felt too, though, about that. It was like, okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm down with the, get, you know, okay. So I kind of took the get comfortable part as like a joke, like, you know, cause they were saying like, okay, you're going to spend the majority of your day debugging. Right. So I'm like, okay, well maybe that's what, you know, they're just kind of like maybe being humorous about like, okay, just get comfortable with the fact that like, this is what you're doing. Right. This is the job. Mm-hmm. But for, but there is some value about saying like, forget the project pressures though, because there have been times where like, you know, you could be totally under the gun, like in a high pressure situation. Right. And it's easy to get caught up into the emotion of that high pressure situation. And then that, cloud your ability to like focus in on the problem 
and thoroughly diagnose the problem, right? Like you might fix the surface level thing. And because you were under such pressure and stress, you didn't look through it completely. And so you didn't fully resolve the issue, right? Which which is a great segue to tip 25. Don't panic. Yeah. <laughs> so just take a step back. Think about what conditions might cause the bug. And, and to Joe's point earlier, like don't waste any brain cells on thoughts like, well, that can't happen because clearly it has, mm-hmm. right? It just happened and now you've been asked to fix it. And then to Alan's point, like, don't just fix the bug though. Like determine the root cause and make sure it doesn't happen again. That's actually yeah. where you spend most of your time in my, in my experience, right? You might be able to track it down real quick, but then you start looking at, well, how are all the ways this thing is called or, or what could this happen? And that's where it's like, man, just trying to set up the 10 different ways that you can get to it could take you hours and the fix takes you five minutes, right? Like, the, yeah, that's, I mean, that's just the world you live in when you're dealing with stuff like that. That's just mo- modern JavaScript development right there. <laughs> <laughs> you got 10 the, hours of t- debugging for one, one character change that solves everything. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, tip 26 here is bring a towel. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> were, uh, that was like, was it on the cover of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Don't panic. It was like page one or something. Oh, I have no idea. Oh, I mean, y'all need to up geek cred. Like uh, the <laughs> the Falcon, the heavy uh, SpaceX uh, has it written on there or something too. I got nothing. Nada. Um, I don't need to get with it. Up the nerd game. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> and yeah, and rule two, always have a towel because it makes just... There's a lot of things you can do with towel. <laughs> anyway. All right. So where, where do you start? start? Yep. Uh, before you start, make sure that your environment compiles. God, yes. Start from a known good state. Is that the deal there? Yes. Yep. Uh, they add without warnings. Yeah. I mean, well, don't believe that. that d- warnings yeah. don't matter. <laughs> Seriously, you should never, ever, ever have warnings. And if you've ever had any warnings and not fixed them, then you, it's already too late for you and you need to start over again. Yeah, that's probably true. But I will say in today's world, depending on what kind of crap you got installed in, in your environment, whether it's linters or whatever else, right? Like you could get all kinds of warnings. Oh, yeah. So yeah. it's... I, I mean, you could do back-to-back compiles and, and in today's world, we're like, you know, because of all the different uh, NPM, you know, packages that might be coming in, like it compiled fine just a moment ago. Oh, now there's a new version. Oh, you got a warning right. about, hey, you should upgrade. Right. So so I will say, like, I agree with this in principle. Like, if, if you see that you've added some sort of warning, then you should probably try and take care of it. If you're working in a project yep. that, are, that already had 300 warnings in it. You shouldn't add to the pile, but it's not necessarily going to be on you to have to try and go fix them all either, you know? Well, I mean, they they do add that you should set your compiler to treat warnings as errors so that you can... This way, the point being is that by doing that, you can then... Their point is that by doing that, you can then focus in on the more difficult problems. That's a good point. So rather than what the, what the thing was trying to warn you about that might eventually become a problem. But to your point, though, there are times where like... In say uh, SQL Server a project, right? Where just the very nature of the things that you're doing there, like it might be perfectly valid what you're doing in there. Like if you are creating temp tables or something like that inside of a proc, right? 
there's nothing wrong with that, but the compiler won't like it because at the time that it goes to compile that uh, SQL Server project, it'll be like, oh, I can't find that table. Yeah, it's a temp table that I'm creating on the fly. Like, of course you can't, but it'll throw warnings about that. So it's a shame because there are some environments such as that one where it's like, what can you do? Yeah, you do, unless you just disable warnings, and then it's like, well, that kind of kills some of it, right? So, well, you can add the like the directive to disable that one particular warning whenever you see it. I mean, I think if you're doing a new project, you got to turn that on, like, or else you know what it gets. It turns into right. But what, yeah, turn, those brown turn on the warnings like, as errors. Say what? You mean, turn turn what on? Turn on warnings as errors right away. Yeah. On a new project. warnings as errors and like start out with linting. Start out with I everything with because that. yeah, it's only going to get harder to add it later. Yeah, I agree with that. I definitely agree. It'll get harder to add later. This yeah, uh, and for anyone out there who thinks they never have warnings and think they're a purist, uh, then yeah, just look at your audit. Like run npm and just look at your warnings for like security issues. You're like, oh well, crap. There's like everything. Yeah. <laughs> and as soon as you upgrade, yeah, you get warm. So yeah. Um, this next one, talk to the user that reported the bug if possible, because you might be able to get more information. Absolutely agree with this. Uh, I would say if possible, don't just talk to them. See if they can walk you through how it happened because there have been so many times where somebody's like, well, I just did this and this. And then you go watch them do it. And it's like, oh, wait a second. You did like eight other things in there that you didn't tell me about. Like, that's not legit. So, Or or they did it in a way that you didn't know was possible. Oh, you ever yeah. That happened? All, all like, the time. Wait, how did you just get to that? Right. I'm like, oh, you didn't know you could click over here and do that? Like, didn't you write this thing? And I'm like. Uh, I mean, I'm like the eighth developer in line that's right. been maintaining this thing. Right. Yeah. Nobody knew that was there. I don't even know how you knew that was there. Yeah. Yup. What else we got here? Uh, test boundary conditions on their realistic usage patterns. A lot of times if you are even thinking about realistic usage patterns and uh, the bug has already been found. Like a lot of times, it's just the weird stuff, and so a lot of times, like, if you're seeing a a bug in like a main thoroughfare, then you like you know that's probably not something uh, that is you know just a, a normal realistic uses pattern. A lot of times, it has to do like say permissions or some odd combination of whatever things that are specific to the environment, which is why it's so good to talk to somebody if you can. But of course, you should you know look at those boundary conditions and those realistic usage patterns because those are probably going to be like the 80% of your traffic, right? Yeah, they, they make a point here of saying that like the best way to start fixing a bug is to make it reproducible. Yeah. And and I added a note here that like, uh, you know, to, I like to do this is like when you're in this kind of situation, if you can then create a unit test that reproduces this bug. Like if it's, a, if the, if it's applicable, if you can. I completely agree with that. And and I think we've talked about this before in the past, like specific to um, when we were talking about unit testing, right? Like I think I've mentioned where like I've actually put the ticket number as part of the name of the the unit test method Mm -hmm. in the past. Hey, one thing I do want to point out on this one, this whole, you know, make it reproducible. I've known so many people that are like, yeah, I fixed it. And they check it in. They never run it. They never try to see, they, you know, they look at like, oh, I know that's what that, that that's what it was, right? And they, and they make a code change to check it in. They're like, hey, ship it. It's good. It's out <laughs> yeah. there. And the same thing's happening. It's like, wait a second. You, you said you fixed it. Well, I, I thought it would fix it. What, what do you mean you thought it would fix it? You know, like be yeah, thorough. See it. Yeah, be thorough. If you're one All of right. the people that owns this thing, own it from beginning to end, reproduce it. 
check it out, make sure it works, try it a few different ways, make sure you can't break it again, and then ship it. Don't ever assume that what you thought was there in the code is exactly what was going on. There should be a tip that's just check your work. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really what it is. Debugging includes end-to-end, right? Set it up, make it happen, fix it, verify it. There should be like, you know, tip 25A, check your work. Man. Or, you know, going back to like a few episodes back, you know, check yourself. <laughs> yeah. Check yourself. Well, like, you know, there's times when you can't reproduce something. You theorize like, I think this is why this is happening, but I can't really tell because of specific environmental reasons. So let me throw up something with some logging and uh, let's, you know, see how it goes tomorrow. Oh, totally. Totally. Like, I, I'm, I'm not saying that there's not extenuating circumstances where you just can't do it. Right. But, but you know, if you are able to reproduce it, don't just go make a code change and not try it out. Right. Like I've, I've seen it happen so many times. Well, Joe's comment about logging though, is a great segue into the next section here that was tracing. And so they say that like debugging is focusing on the state of the application now, but sometimes you need to watch the state of it over time. Mm-hmm. And so you could add tracing statements, which are diagnostic messages that you'd print out that might say something like, you know, you got here or, you know, the value of some variable. Right. And I, I mean, I know that we've all, I'm sure we've all done that, right? Like, you know, got here, you, you know, got here one, got here two. <laughs> you ever done that kind of thing? Right. Oh man. Oh, oh know, all the time. It always starts out lazy like that. You're like, you know, one, two, three, like, where is it? How far? 25. Is it Dang it. You know, yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, yeah, you might, you might write out like 25 statements, but then like when it stops at 17, you're like, okay, it died between 17 and 18. Okay. I've at least narrowed it down. Right. Yep, totally. But, um, you know, I have found though that, yeah, I mean, that's definitely like the old, the, the lazy way of doing it. Like the one, two, three, four that we mentioned, but I found that it's helpful to like write out the, to have the fully qualified name sometimes to that. If you're going to have like, you know, uncle Bob would kill you if you had to have all those tracing statements in one method. If you were able to have 25 different tracing statements in one That's method, true. then it's way too big. So, so sometimes your tracing isn't just in one method. It's going across multiple classes, multiple methods within a class. Um, and so I like to have my statements written in a form of like, kind of like a C++ kind of style, you know, like class colon colon method name. Mm-hmm. And then I'll have the message to the right of that. And then that way I can kind of like, as I'm tracing through this and kind of see like, what was the flow and what was having, right? And then that way, if there's like, you know, some variable that I want to see the value of, right, then hopefully by having that class and method there, like that ambiguity is removed and you can see like, okay, this was the value at that time. But by the time that value, that variable was passed to this other method, it had this other value, right? I will say this is something that that we've talked about in the past as well. And it's worth looking into if you're doing stuff like this. If you can introduce something like aspect-oriented programming, it can help you a lot with this because you could basically just say, hey, you know, I I want to put in a, a logging aspect and for every single method, you know, I want to see what happens when it's coming in, going out, everything, right? And then you don't have to write a bunch of code in between. You can kind of just toggle it on and off. So um, that's that's sort of an elegant way of doing that if you ever need to. Um, yeah, and they add that th- this tracing uh, methodology, right? This can be an invaluable. This can be invaluable when time itself is a factor, 
uh, within your application. Yeah, the only big problem that you have with this with this approach is if it's something that's in a production environment, you got to get the code out there, right? So you're going to have to add all the code into it and be like, all right, well, let's deploy this thing, right? And then wait for your feedback loop, which which can really stink, but it can be probably your last line of defense. Yeah, and this is where like that that format that I mentioned about like the class colon colon method, right? They say that these tracing statements should be in a consistent format, right? So, I mean, like I've shared what my format is, whatever your format is, it's, it doesn't matter that your format might be different than mine. What matters is that, you know, there's just consistency in how you do it, right? So that you can, you can, um, you know, be able to easily scan through those. Cause have you ever, have you ever had it to where, uh, there are multiple different formats of logging messages and you're trying to like scan through for yours, but you're like constantly like your eye is like zigzagging back and forth through the screen. It yeah. really does matter. Right. So <clears throat> this one I found like super interesting though. Then this next section, which is rubber ducking, which um, if you've never heard of this, this is just simply talking through the problem to someone else. And, and as silly as this seems, you know, it just, it just works. <laughs> it does. Right. It's probably like yep. an 80% success rate. Now here, here's the thing that I found most interesting about this. So, uh, at the start of this episode, we were talking about like how, um, you know, like tracer bullets, like how, how ahead of the curve, um, Andy and David were when, they, or Andrew and David were when they wrote this book. Right. And, I'm questioning is prag is the pragmatic programmer the origin of the term rubber, rubber ducking. ducking because they give a uh, little uh, a story about like um you know uh, about this where they say why rubber ducking well an undergraduate at uh, Imperial College in London Dave did a lot of work with a research assistant named Greg I don't know how to pronounce his last name Poe I'm going to say P U G H Pew. Sound like, oh, Pew? Mm-hmm. Okay. Greg Pew, one of the best developers Dave has known. For several months, Greg carried around a small yellow rubber duck, which he'd place on his ter- terminal while coding. It was a while before Dave had the courage to ask. So clearly, Greg is the one who was doing the rubber ducking first, but did the writing of the, you know, did the, did coining the term rubber ducking come from the pragmatic programmer and that isn't answered in here that i saw and i'm too lazy to google it <laughs> wikipedia what uh is listed as a reference to a story in the book the pragmatic programmer nice ah so going back to them being ahead of the game right yeah and, and setting the curve for so many things that uh we now we now take for granted rubber ducking so Yeah, this is the simple act of describing step-by-step what is supposed to happen, and it it often causes the problem to leap out to you as you you explain it. And by forcing yourself to explain it verbally to someone else who has no knowledge of this thing, right, then you're forced to state things that you might otherwise take for granted. And that's key, by the way, right? And, And have you ever been in that situation where, like, you're trying to you're trying to rubber duck something, and then the other person will be like, 
yeah, but wait, why is this do that? And you're like, ah, stop. I'm trying to explain it. But you know, it really is helping though, right? Like they're, they're questioning the things that you're taking for granted. Like every time that they're asking you something, it was because you took yeah. something for granted. Right. And they don't know about it. Right. Right. Yeah. The, it's, it's so true. It happens way more often than not that the person that needed the help ends up figuring it out because they're telling the other person, well, what I did, I'm, I did this, 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 oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's exactly. that just uh, ask, asking good questions is good to you. Be like, well, so I think it got to here, but I don't know how to tell. So here's the five weird, weirdo ways I've been trying to figure out if it stopped here. And you're like, well, did it send an email? And you're like, well, well, yeah, I mean, it should have, but I guess I didn't verify. Let me go look at the email. I said, didn't send the email. I'm looking at the totally wrong part. Oh my gosh. Right. 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 Yep. Yeah. It, whenever you are, whenever you feel like you've gotten to a point to where you've spent more than the amount of time that you feel is reasonable for the particular bug you're trying to resolve, then it's time to rubber duck it. Yeah, I would agree. But that's after you've given it your due to the diligence. though. don't, don't start with rubber ducking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We got the process of elimination here is the, uh, what I'm a big fan of. So, um, where it might be possible that exists in a third-party library, which I'm always trying to prove that they're wrong. It's probably not. It's probably in your code. So you should always probably assume that it's your code first. And don't go for reaching for those uh, massive like Windows errors or whatever <laughs> until you've kind of exhausted the easy stuff to check on. Besides, if, even if there is a bug in that stuff, a lot of times like, what are you going to do about it? You know, you still need to kind of figure out and investigate it. Even going through GitHub looking for issues and stuff can be really difficult. If you've ever gone to any sort of project of size, you're going to go there and sometimes they'll have like, you know, hundreds of issues. You're like, well, it might be in this mess already. I don't want to create a new ticket if it's already there. So let me just, you know, maybe check out your code first. Yep. And, and you know, they make a point of calling it out in the book that uh, even if it was in their system, you're likely going to have to rule out the possibility of it being in your system first, in your code first, before you can even submit that bug report. Right. So this was like maybe the first tip that we are about to encounter that might not stand the test of time as written, as it is written, right? Like, and that is tip 26, select isn't broken. I mean, I get what they're saying there, but I wonder if they're going to reword that one. (laughs) And then you- Because of the word select? Well, I mean, I guess that they're just referring to SQL in the way that they have would be my assumption, right? And then they're saying like, hey, select isn't broken and, you know, like whatever SQL you were trying to write, right? But I'm wondering if they would rewrite this tip in a different way. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. I could be wrong. If you find a bug in SQL, like SQL Server, maybe Oracle, one of the big ones, and it's probably not a bug. It's probably documented. <laughs> What's that? I forget what the there's something in SQL that I've tripped on a few times where it's like you can't access the temp table that was created in a proc that was like nested to. Scoping. There's some like weird thing uh, that happens when you get like two procs deep and it works if you test things in isolation. It doesn't work when you put it together. I've run into a couple times and I've already forgotten what it was now. Dang it. But yeah, that's not technically a bug, it's a, a known limitation. That's what they say anyway. Yep. And they say here, if you change one thing and things stop working, guess what? It's probably that one thing you changed. 
Yep. Seems obvious, but a lot of times it's like it's like Joe said. Yeah. Well, it can't be what I did. What I did had to be right. Yeah, yeah it is so frustrating though. Like when you do change something and it breaks, and you roll back your thing and it's still broken. Oh, that that's irritating. That yeah. usually means there's some sort of environmental thing that changed that wasn't your fault at all. But or you found another problem. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That is frustrating. And of course, there's the whole, like, how did this ever work thing? <laughs> I love that. We've <laughs> yeah. all had that. This never worked. It couldn't have. Why? Why? Is, yeah. That's yeah. generally where I start. <laughs> yep. Uh, you, you deliver the fix and you confidently say that it never worked. And someone confidently tells you that it did actually work. And then you're like, well, wait, did I fix it then? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anymore. Yeah. Uh, if you don't have an idea of where to start, a binary search can help. Yeah, so when they refer to binary search here, though, they're not like immediately. I my brain jumped to get bisect. Oh yeah, no, right. I, so I was immediately being like, okay, I get it. You know, you're going to go back to some commit where it previously worked, and then you're going to like bisect your way until you find the commit that introduced the problem, and then you know get blame it, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure they were just talking about <laughs> splitting the code in half and putting a breakpoint somewhere in the middle and being like, did it break? I mean, this is kind of like going back to your 25 print statements, right? Right. Yeah. Like, okay, it stopped at 17. Okay. I know we're somewhere, but you know, after 17. Right. Yeah. Right? The, this is literally just find somewhere in the middle, put a breakpoint, see what happens. Right. Did you make it there? Did you not? Okay. You didn't. All right. Then cut it in half again. <laughs> go, yep. go back. But yeah, but in today's world though, when we talk about binary search, it's very easy that you could, as it relates to developing and bugs, then get, you know, bisect. get bisect is the thing that might come to mind. Yep. Or maybe it's just me. I it's, think it might be. The, it's not me. It's the source control in you. <laughs> yeah, I am, I am much more prone to delete half the file than I am to get bisect. <laughs> I think I am too. Yeah, it's really uh, store procedures and stuff. And it's like SQL. It's like step one, go get the definition and the delete the t- uh, <laughs> delete and change to declare. Like I could almost like list the steps for like converting a proc to SQL. So you can just run it. <laughs> Ugh. Such, it's such a pain. Such a pain. Uh, the element surprise. So when you find yourself surprised by a bug, saying something like that's impossible, then obviously you need to reevaluate what you think of as like your base case. So. Definitely agree with that. It was like, there's something about your assumptions that are wrong or you stepped into the twilight zone. Either way possible. Yeah. They had this statement here that I was like, I felt was so true because it was like the amount of surprise you have is directly proportional to the amount of trust you have on that bit of code. I agree. (laughs) And I was like, we've all been there, right? Like somebody says like, oh, uh, such and such is broken. You're like, no, it can't be. (laughs) <laughs> oh, it is. Like, I definitely had this happen to me one time before. Actually, uh, it's been, it was a few years back now. It was a, it was a caching system. And they were like, hey, there's a problem with the caching system. And I'm like, mm, no, it can't be. <laughs> and they're like, no, no, there totally is. And I'm like, what? No, that thing is like, there's so many unit tests, like protecting that thing. Like, really? It's, it's broken? And they're like, yeah, no, it's, it does this. And I'm like, no, nah, it just doesn't sound possible. <laughs> Turns what, out, was it broken? It was broken. <laughs> hey, guess what? There was a there was a test case that wasn't covered. 
Uh, yeah, but he also goes the other way. There's been lots of times when it's like someone said, like, hey, there's got to be a bug in your stuff because all, all my stuff's right. And I'm like, no, there isn't. I don't think so because it's been working forever and nothing has changed here in a long time. And they go back and forth, they go back and forth, and like somehow you end up with it. And by the time you like end up researching, you're like, yeah, it was you. I told you it was you. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I like Fun this. Times. You must accept one or more of your assumptions is wrong. Sometimes that's the hardest thing to do, but I mean, proof is in the pudding. I mean, it goes all the way back to the beginning of this section, right? Like put your ego aside. Yeah. Yeah. There is, there is a problem with the caching system. So just, you know, <laughs> accept it, yep. move on. Uh, don't gloss over a piece of code cause you know, it works. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's easy to do. Yep. Prove that it works. That's about the only way that you're going to make sure that, you know, everything is what it's supposed to be. In yep. this situation, with this data, and these conditions. Totally. And that that's the key part. And that's where, like, having a unit test can help you, you know, because you can easily add in that, you know, recreate that state. Yep. Yeah. And that's where... Yeah, I'm confident this part still works, right, with the given input. So, yep. what, what am I not looking at? And that's where tip 27 comes in. Don't assume it, prove it. You know, if if somebody says there's a problem there, the easiest thing to do is go prove it that it is or it isn't, right? Mm -hmm. So, yep. So, you know, once you do find that, you know, find the bug and, you know, what's caused it, try to determine why this bug wasn't caught before. And, you know, they, they make a point of saying, like, I've already kind of said this before, but, you know, create or update the unit test so that this is caught in the future, right? And then they also said, like, you know, to ask yourself, like, are there other places where this bug, where you might have this same bug, and if so, fix them too? But I kind of questioned myself uh, when I was reading that part, because I'm like, mm, Uncle Bob will be really upset if he read that line. Yeah, does that mean you copied and pasted a bunch of code all over the place? Well, it doesn't necessarily have to mean copy and paste, but it definitely means that you have, like, the same thing being done in multiple places, maybe, right? So you don't have a method that's just doing that one thing. But if we go back to our clean architecture series, remember, you might have code that is very similar in multiple places. Uh, right. Accidental duplication. Either accidental or purposeful, right? Because because you actually Changes. want those things. Yes, they don't change at the same time. Yeah, so they, they change don't. at different times for different yeah. reasons. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. If the, bu- if the bug took a while to fix, ask yourself why. Because programming is hard. <laughs> that, that is true. Yeah. So, you have, did you see the challenge for this section? No. Said so debugging is challenge enough. <laughs> <laughs> no homework for this one. Amen. Yeah. I mean, this one about like asking yourself why, though, I, that was kind of, I thought it was kind of weird, but they were like saying, like, is there anything that you could do that would make this easier in the future? And the only takeaway that I had from that was like, well, I guess what they're really getting at here is like, if it took you a while to, to debug this or fix this bug, then is it maybe possible that you could refactor the code in such a way that you could more easily isolate and unit test portions of it, right? Because like, I could definitely see a situation where it would be more difficult to debug or or find the problem in a, in a particular system if there's a bunch of uh, dependencies that are baked in, it's all intertwined and tangled and, and you can't easily mock things or create unit tests and whatnot. And so therefore you're just stuck in a world where it's like, 
well, I just have to run through the system live. And if I happen to like stumble upon the bug, then I can find it. You know what I'm saying? Um, I'm not sure what else, I guess where I'm going with this, I'm not sure what else you could do other than to try to untangle the mess though. Yeah. I mean, I guess every situation be unique. I mean, it, it could even be that there's just really bad patterns, right? And and it's super hard to follow because it's just a, a nest of garbage, but hmm. yeah. Okay. I mean, because I there was something that all three of us had tried to do in the past. I don't even remember what it was, but each one of us had, had hit something at one point. We were like, man, I'm, I'm making this better. And then after a day, you're like, I, I don't have time to make this better. Yep. <laughs> and you just back out, right? I don't remember what the situation was, but I, I'm pretty sure each one of us had both hit the same place. And we were like, and it just, the, the rabbit hole never ended. Right? I'm trying to remember. And it seems like that was back, like, you know, a couple gigs ago. It yeah. was several years back now. Yeah. And and I know we had all, like, we had yeah. each done it. And then we had a discussion. We're like, oh, you tried to do that too? Right. Yeah, I gave up. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, so, sometimes it's just, it's there's some problems. There's some hard things to do. Now, here is an interesting point that they made, though. If the bug is due to someone else's wrong assumption, then discuss the issue with the whole team so that you can highlight that person's mistake and call them out in front of the team. No, I'm just kidding with that part. But no, they do say... Nicely done. (laughs) You're welcome. I made it sound so seamless. They do say, though, that if, if the bug is due to someone else's wrong assumption, to discuss it with the whole team. But the point that they were getting at is that if one person misunderstood it, then it's likely that others did too. Right. Like, yes, we charge sales tax. (laughs) 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 Uh, And then uh, they had a debugging checklist and, and a lot of the checklist here, uh, I don't know. It was just stuff that it, it didn't really seem like it would be to me. It didn't really feel like it was part of a debugging checklist because like, one of them was like, is the bug really in the compiler or is it in the operating system or is it in your code? Okay, well, just accept yeah. that it's in your code. Yeah. Right? Like, I mean, like, if you gave me a bug, I'm not going to be like, well, is it really mine? Yeah. <laughs> Hold on so now. Prob- probably. <laughs> yeah. Are you sure probably. that this bug is not in the GCC? I mean, I'll, I'll, I mean I'll give you an example, though. Like, it, it won't always be your code, right? Like I, one of the tips I, I gave out at one point in time was disabling quick edit mode on a console window, right? Because you can, if you were to click in that window, it'll stop the operation of your console application, right? If you have quick edit enabled. So there there could be things in the OS in an environment that you're just not aware of that could be causing things. Um, and it's not actually a bug in your code, but it was a feature in the OS that's causing it. So the, the point is, start in your code, exhaust that's my e- point. everything there. But it could be. Like, like as your checklist of things that you're going to go down, you wouldn't, you right. wouldn't start with you that You wouldn't one. say, oh, it's the operating system. <laughs> but, but the one that I really did like, though, that was in here was that, like, you know, are your tests complete? Mm-hmm. You know, do you have enough test unit tests to cover the various scenarios? Like, edge cases, boundaries, you know, whatever it might be, right? Yes. Yeah, the cache. Thank you, Alan. <laughs> hey, you brought it up. I didn't think it was going to be a knife later wrapped in my back. <laughs> no, in your front. Uh, <laughs> well, this is awkward. Yeah. All right. Well, 
so with that, you know, I hope you're enjoying uh, the pragmatic programmer. <laughs> I'm trying to not say it wrong anymore, and I was struggling right there. I don't know if you could hear the straining in my voice. I did. But uh, yeah, so obviously we'll have some links to the resources we like, and obviously uh, a copy of this book will be one of those resources. And with that, we head into Alan's favorite portion of the show. It's the tip of the week. Yeah. Some people like this portion of the show. Yeah. Yes. And uh, so I'll start with the tip that uh, Catch added this in. And so, by the way, if you have a tip, you can head to uh, codingblocks.net slash tips, and you can submit a tip there. Or if you're in our Slack channel, there's also a uh, tips and tricks uh, channel in Slack. But uh, he reminded me that in Visual Studio Code, um, it has this really awesome ability to preview your markdown. So like as you are editing it, you can see the uh, prettified version of your markdown and you know the cursor moves with you and whatnot. So uh, you can do this a couple ways. Like you could uh, on a Mac, command plus K and then V or switch out the command with control if you're on Windows uh, to open up the preview window. Or if you are would prefer to not use your mouse, to not use your keyboard rather, um, then you should probably listen to the previous episode where we talked about keys, keystrokes. But uh, there's a little window when you're in your markdown that has like a, it almost looks identical to the split pane one, except it has like a magnifying glass over one side. And that little button right there will open up the preview for the markdown. So, and it splits it out, right? Like when you click that thing, it splits it out to the right. So yes. your markdowns on the left and then your previews on the right. Correct. Yeah. So thank you catch for, uh, submitting that tip of the week. Very nice. All right. So mine, I've actually got to one because I just used it recently and forgot how much I love this thing. And the other one's from somebody in our Slack group. So the first one is link pad. Like, I know we've mentioned it probably years ago now in, in terms of tools that we liked. And the reason why this came back up for me recently is I was having an issue where in a uh, CS or a SQL project file, there were duplicate files in there and it's an XML file. And so there were like duplicate XML entries. And I was like, man, like there's gotta be some sort of utility out there to where I can see what these dupes are. Right. And I couldn't find anything that was like just a, an XML, you know, thing. And I was like, you know what? If I had a C Sharp app, I could write something that would be a link query that would load up this XML. And then I could just group and see the counts of these things, right? And then I don't know. I, I guess when I was thinking a link query, oh, I'll try a link pad. So I was easily able to say, hey, load up the, the SQL proj file. And then I could just say, all right. Give me where the the particular in uh, include tag was grouped by the name value, and I could actually get the count of it. Like I was able to dedupe the entire thing in a couple minutes. <laughs> like it it was amazing. And the reason I bring it up as the tip of the week is you could do all kinds of stuff like that. It's not just if you want to do link queries, you can write C sharp, F sharp, or VB. And the cool stuff that I didn't even realize they had available is 
you can do things that aren't just link specific. If you just want to write like a little app to dump out the date time or something, you don't have to spin up a console app to do that, right? You don't even have to go to .NET Fiddle. You could do it here. And another thing that's cool is they have this wrapper feature to where if you want to test out like a chunk of code, you can actually create several classes and then tell it to run it as an exe it'll wrap it and then run the whole thing hmm. and one of the super nice things about it is almost every object has this dump feature so you can call dump on whatever the object is and it'll pretty print out the contents of that thing down below so it is a fantastic utility for just being able to one off some some code that you might need to do in the OS or just, you know, you want to see how it operates, but you don't have to run an entire program to do it. So uh, definitely check that one out. Yeah. I mean, I, I found myself just, uh, uh, you know, you mentioned going to like a .NET fiddle. I've definitely done that where I'm like, wait a minute, I think this would be the syntax for it. And I didn't want to like, you know, mess with whatever instance of Visual Studio is already in and didn't want to spin up another one. Yep. And I've also found myself in the situation where like even today where I was like, well, I think this is the syntax for this particular thing. I'm going to go to the immediate window, try it, verify that what I'm thinking works the way I think it works. And, you know, but then like it would, when you, if you weren't already in a debug session, then the immediate window would like spawn off, you know, a background uh, console window that everything's executing in. And you're like, okay, well, how do I stop this thing? And you're trying to close that and, because it's not really in a debug session, so there's no stop. But yeah, yeah. it's it's frustrating. Like it, it seems like just being able to do some arbitrary C sharp or F sharp or VB would not be that hard. This makes it super easy. So I highly recommend it. If you need to do any like utilitarian things, like I said, I was trying to dedupe a, a CS SQL proj file and it worked fine. Yeah, we we covered Linkpad originally in episode guess six. Joe, you got a number? Nope. You cheated? No. No? You were right. Is six. it six, six. really? It was wow. episode six, yeah. There's something about Link was the the episode. Wow. That's yeah. that's been a minute. And it was pretty it was pretty interesting. We had a section called uh Never Have I Never Have I Ever. <laughs> and one of the nice. one of the one of the things that we had in here is Never have I ever written out a for loop only to have Resharper complain that it could be written as a link oh, expression. Yeah. God. Oh, I do that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Still do that. All right. So my second one, this one's actually pretty short, but this is from Zach Ingbriston and Ingbretson. So this is really cool. I didn't know it existed. If you have Vim installed on your system, if you're on a Mac, it's probably in your terminal already. If you're on a Linux system, you can do it there. You can just type in Vim Tutor and hit enter, and it'll open up an interactive tutor for learning Vim. That's amazing. I, I didn't know that existed. Now, the funny part here, though, is that when you do it, <clears throat> like if you had zero knowledge of Vim or VI, you would already not know how to get out of it until you completed the tutorial. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you, you will be in there for the uh, long haul because right away there is no, there is no like, oh hey, if you didn't mean to do this, this is how you quit. No, you're, you're gonna close like, the terminal window. <laughs> wait, what? Like, how? How? But but 
super cool. I didn't know that existed. It's built into Vim. Yeah. Now, in fairness, though, to that little joke, because somebody's going to like, you know, complain like you, it is on like the second page. Oh, okay. So it's not that far down. Like, I, I honestly, like one of the things I didn't know was the HJKL for navigation. I truly don't understand why they use those key bindings. Wait, how are you navigating then? I always use the arrow keys. Oh, really? Yeah. So, I mean, because they work the same, it's actually easier, in my opinion, to use the up, down, left, right arrow keys. But but whatever. Like, I, I this is where some of the things for Vim just sort of fall apart for me. Like, HJKL for your navigation. Like, yeah. But it's all about, like, keeping your hands on the letters. Give me WASD. Like, seriously. Yeah, I'm not doing, I'm not WASD? doing HJKL. Yeah. Not WASD? WASD, WASD, WASD. Yeah. So oh, anyway, on you. <laughs> fantastic tip. Thank you, Zach, for that one. And that's it. Yep. And I got one, which I thought I'd mentioned before, but uh, I hope not <laughs> because I'm going to do it again. And that's Reversi, which is a super simple proxy that you can use. You can go download. It's free. It's by our friend over, uh, G- I don't know how to pronounce your name. Sorry. Um, Gillespin. Oh, you did and mention this one before. I think I might have, but it's just so good. It's so nice because... It's kind of like, you know, Fiddler is nice. If you've ever used it, you could do like everything in the world with Fiddler. But it's kind of stupidly complicated. It's like there's a lot of different things. It does a lot of different use cases in it. And, are, you know, it can fit in between your browser and whatever. But if you've just got like a, some sort of endpoint that you're hitting and you want to see the requests and responses, man, do yourself a favor. Download Reversi. In five seconds, you'll be up and running. You can pause it. You can uh, kind of manipulate by hand if you want to change things or repeat stuff. It just – it's – that one single use case, but it just does it perfectly and it's all simple and all the buttons are there. You don't have to go Googling around for the Telerik, you know, Fiddler instructions on how to do simple proxies and stuff. And this, cause it only just does the one thing. It's really great. I use it uh, quite a bit actually. And it's just so nice that I had to mention it again, or maybe just once. No, I don't know. It's totally again. Well, if we, if he has mentioned it, we didn't document it as a tip of the week. All right. Good. Or bad. I don't know. But I'm still trying to figure out, like, this is in place of using, like, a Fiddler, Yeah, we're yeah. saying, right? Yeah. And, like, Fiddler, and the advantage is your that browser. this is more lighter weight, we're saying, right? Simpler. Yeah, yeah, so what I do is, like, I'll be communicating with a service, like, uh, you know, Elasticsearch or a database or something, and I'll just go ahead and, like, plug in, like, uh, I, don't, I don't know, let's say uh, I'll go to localhost 9999, and it will forward to this URL, and that's it. You can hit start, and it'll just start proxying so whatever you hit on local host 999 ends up going wherever you want it to and you get to see all the requests in between hmm. yep pretty great beautiful Very cool all right so um that's it for this episode we talked about kind of power editing i've got the, the tips here again so we can blast through them so uh 22 through 27 today we've got use a single editor well do we all agree with that yes sort of yeah yeah sort of i'm with that uh, how about always? What use counts as an editor? No, I, I gotta say no. There's no? too many okay. editors, right? Like, don't. Yeah, you're gonna use more than one, but learn to use them well. I guess is use, what I say. How so. about you learn to use one well and just kind of use the others poorly? Okay. <laughs> no, use them all well. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, always use source control. Definitely yes on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, fix the problem, not the blame. Yes. I assume we're all yes on that one. Yes. All right. Uh, what about don't panic? Yes. Okay. Uh, also, I, I didn't write down 26. What was 26? 
Oh, uh, what was totally 26? Select isn't broken. Right. Yeah, select so isn't. assume that you had the problem. Yes. And tip 27 finally was uh, don't assume it, prove it. Yes. I like it. Which, yeah, I like that too. So the only one that we were kind of iffy on was uh, you use a single editor well. And that's probably just a, a case of how things have kind of evolved. Well, because like as you said it though, like I was thinking like, well, what counts as an editor, right? Like you could you you know you and i might not be willing to count like a data grip or a sql server management studio as our editor but to a database developer they would yeah. definitely call no, that an editor so yeah i have it open all the time right so so if you say just one editor well it's like well i mean man i'm always between you know some kind of code editor that's not sql and then some editor that is sql so at a minimum it too yeah, I say I, that's why I'm saying I sort of agree with it. Except I, instead of single, you say get the ones that you're going to use and learn to use them. Make them proficient for yourself. I mean, I understand where they were wanting to go with like just one, but yeah, yeah, maybe it's a little bit dated. We full stackers. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'll tell you, yeah, I have several, and there's a couple of admin panels I always have open too, like websites. So PG admin. Woo. No. <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, all right. Well, with that, uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and more using your favorite podcast app. And uh, as I mentioned before, we greatly appreciate it if you take the time to leave us a review. And you know that could just mean whatever uh, platform of your choice that you happen to be using. You know, thumbs up, star, or you know, leave us a review if it's iTunes, Stitcher. You can find some links at www.codingblocks.net/slash/review. And we have this thing called a website. It's at codingblocks.net. Is that on the World Wide Web? That is on the www. You can check out our show notes, examples, discussions, and more. And uh, check out the Slack channel because we have the best and brightest minds in all of programming in there. And I'm not afraid to say it. It's uh, super awesome. And I need to spend more time there because it is super awesome. But we're in there. (laughs) Yeah, not not enough. I've been busy the last couple of weeks, so I've like lost touch. But it's nice. There's a couple channels I like to go in there and just kind of pop in and be able to catch up a little bit. And uh, so the best and brightest minds, you're referring to those other other people. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. That makes a lot more sense. I get it. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, also, uh, we're on Twitter at CodingBlocks. Uh, or you can head over to the website, CodingBlocks.net, and find out the social links at the top of our page. 